Welcome to Legacy Therapy, the podcast that will teach you, in bite-sized chunks, how to leave a stress-free legacy so loved ones can focus on people, not paperwork, when you become ill or pass away. Here is your host and financial advocate, Stacey Golden-Lisnock. Hello, and welcome to the 16th episode of Legacy Therapy, Planning Techniques for a Stress-Free Legacy. And I'm going to tell you today, we have a real treat. I have a friend of mine, PK Eastman, and she has a story to tell um, of how things went for her in her life when uh, her husband passed away. So um, PK is is actually a storyteller by profession, right? She's an author and she's a writer. And so I think we're getting for a real treat and uh, we'll hear uh, directly from PK. So let's get started. Welcome. And thank you for joining us on Legacy Therapy. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I, I'm thrilled that you would think I would be worthy of your podcast and, and your listeners. So well, I appreciate it. Your story was definitely one that I want people to hear because it's it's a, an amazing one. So we'll let you get started and uh, let's hear. I suppose if I were going to title this, and someday I might, it would be a riches to rags story, kind of the opposite of what most people think of. And, and go light on the riches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I married when I was 22. I had a degree in English from uh, a good college. And the first two years of our marriage, I did teach school. We wanted a family. I mean, I wanted a family. (laughs) He wanted, he just didn't want it as soon as I did. But my husband was well-educated. He had graduated from a prodigious university. When I got pregnant and we had our first baby, um, my husband looked at his check from... um, the month before whatever in the summer when we were off our first child was born the end of june and i had taught up until school ended and then was home a week or so before i i had this sweet little girl um, and he realized that in teaching uh although we were now that he was paying taxes on two people and then it would be three he would actually earn barely more his third year of teaching and now he had completed his master's degree in the summer so he was going to earn less money or right at the same, you know, mark uh, that uh, he had the second year of teaching before we had our baby. And he decided that that didn't work for him. So he went out, he found a job in high tech. So I stayed home and raised, you know, had this baby and was there. I, I was called back. I taught part time. So it was just a little extra money. We'd bought our first home. It was I don't know, probably 1,400, 1,200, 1,200 to 1,400 square feet. And it costs a whopping Mm -hmm. (laughs) $16,000. We don't buy cars for that. We don't even buy used cars for that anymore. So, you know, that's a big change. Anyway, that we just kept doing that and doing that. And and he paid the bills. My mom had always paid the bills and I was willing to do it. But, uh, he had made an interesting comment to me the first year we were married when he found out I owed a, a department store. Well, not a department store. It was a specialty clothing store in, in Portland. And I had bought a couple of things before I got married, uh, knowing I was going to be teaching and that sort of thing. And I think I owed them, what, $80. And he saw the bill. And, and I paid it. It wasn't it didn't come out of his check. 
anyway, he had a flip out of monumental proportions because I had a charging account, which is something he'd never had. So, but it, the bill came, I paid it. And it was like 80 bucks, I think. And uh, part of that was a wedding suit and a hat for our wedding. Anyway, I said, fine, you want to pay the bills. I had no reason not to trust him to do that. And he, had, he was educated. He had bought a new car when, when he got married and it was a reasonable car. We drove an Oldsmobile. And it was just, there was no reason anywhere not to do that. Anyway, every once in a while, he would say something like, we got to watch what we're spending. We got to watch. <laughs> okay. Um, and he, he developed a pattern over uh, the next 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years of saying, if we don't stop this or if we don't do this, we're going to be broke. Now, I have to say my husband was a good husband, a great father, and worked really hard. He had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at 19. And I knew that when we got married, but his MS was in remission and stayed in remission most of the time. He would have weeks where, a week or so, where he would have numbness, would start in his feet and then creep up his body. And, uh, you know, usually leave around his chest stop around his chest and then that would go away but it didn't inhibit him in working anyway and he kept that a major secret we got to the point skipping over a lot but we got to the point where we uh had a lovely home and um we had owned 10 really nice new home type rental properties and don would work there at those almost every saturday and I would say, so what do I tell the kids when you're not going to be here today? And he said, uh, you tell them I'm working on their college educations. And, and that made sense to me. And somebody said, I remember a good friend of ours said to me, he said, I don't know. He said, everything Don does, you know, he is just so darn lucky. It just, he makes money no matter what he does. And I just, I said, my husband works really hard mm -hmm. because he did. You know, he put in a lot of hours. He really wanted to have more, I don't want to say physical, material things. And he wanted a bigger home. He wanted a nicer home. That was the thing that drove him. Anyway, life went on. We bought, we moved around a couple of places because of promotions uh, Don received. His MS stayed pretty stable. And Don kept making more money and putting it in the checkbook and then he wanted this, he wanted out of the house we were in. And I said, I'm happy here. What's the big deal? And he said, I want our, you know, kind of forever home or I want a home and, and this is where they're opening up property. And he always did real estate on the side. And he said, this will be a really good deal. I said, okay, if you're sure. And at the time he was working for a big corporation and, and things were going well. We still had these 10 houses and and money was not a major issue. So a company knocked on the door one day and wanted Don to come to work for them. It was a new startup. And when that was, uh, after he took the job, we said, this is either the smartest thing we've ever done or the dumbest thing we've ever done. And still there was always this, you know, he wanted, uh, our friends bought a motor home and he said, let's get a motor home for just a couple of years and do a couple of fun things. And I said, is there the money for that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, there's money for that. I wouldn't bring it up if there wasn't. 
So we bought a motor home and had that for a couple of years, took some great trips in it with our family, and, and I appreciated that. But mostly we put everybody in the van or the whatever and drove from Oregon up into central Washington for our vacations. We had a, a used, you know, a, a pre-owned boat that was in nice shape. But again, it was just a basic boat that we could ride in and the kids could water ski behind. Now, I know, I guess I just want to interrupt myself and say, I know that there are millions of families that that didn't have the opportunity to have a boat or a motor home and their vacations would would be something smaller. I don't want to diminish that this was a really nice life. It was way more than I had ever expected, way more than I had. So, you know, again, my background wasn't let's have bigger is better. And uh, did I love my home? Oh, absolutely. And I was thrilled and grateful every day for that opportunity. Okay, we're running out of time here. So here's where it gets interesting. My husband just con decided to leave this company where he had taken a job after about five or six years. We got caught in the minimum alternative minimum tax issue that came about in 1995 um, Robert Packwood, a, a Republican from Oregon, of all things, passed this tax because all the new dot-com industries were making tons of money, but they were able to duck, deduct lots of things and keep a lot of money that, that, of course, the Congress wanted, the government wanted for tax money. They felt like they were getting by without any pay. So it's, I won't take time to explain it, but we had in the severance package from this company, a huge amount of, Don got a year's salary, and he got a huge package of stock. Well, in this, in this law, you either had to sell your stock and pay tax on it, or you had to project out what that stock was going to be worth at some point and pay tax on it. So we had a huge tax bill, which he didn't really share with me out in the open. And and in 1989, we got our first computer, and I said, Don, I want all those bills on here. Oh, I don't, I don't have time to do that. I do, I do. And it was always an excuse. I'll get them to you. Or I'm like, I need to know the tax accounts. I mean, or not tax accounts. I need to know how many bank accounts you have that I don't know about. As it turned out, there weren't many. But still, there was this, we got to be careful about this. I would ask if we could do this, or if we could do that, or if I could buy this for the house. Uh... Well, yeah, go ahead. Just go ahead and do it. He never put the brakes on. We were going downhill on a gigantic roller coaster. And um, there were no brakes, no stops. We ended up having to sell our home. And, um, you know, my parents would be just mortified to talk about money. But we bought the house for $289,000 on a really gorgeous view lot uh, in 1980. Eight, I, late 88, early 89, and um, in a new neighborhood, we added a few things like you always do when you build a home. And I suppose we had around $300,000 in that house. When we sold it 10 years later, it was worth about two hundred or $540,000, uh, which was a huge increase. And we came away from that with $3,500 which was ridiculous. But 
he promised me we would build another house when we decided where we want to live. Well, the stress of all of that without me, I mean, I knew he was under stress because he separated from this company over a policy issue. And uh, so it wasn't exact, it wasn't bitter, but it wasn't totally amicable and he needed to go back to work. Um, so one thing led to another. And the other thing was that he contracted, and that's a dumb word, but he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I'm a big proponent that a great number of our health problems come from our mind. And I know the stress and that he was under to maintain this lifestyle, which I could have cared less about. And it, I told him frequently, if this is a big deal, let's just whatever. No, no, we're fine. We're fine. Well, we weren't fine. We sold the house. We moved into a rental for the next 10 years. We lived in rental properties. Um, a lot of the kids were gone. So at one time we had two and then we had just one living in there. So that wasn't a big deal. But it was this massive, oh my gosh. And then it was like I didn't have insurance anymore because he was self-employed and he didn't get that. Uh, the big whammy was when he was recovering from one of his surgeries from cancer. He said, I got a call from a friend of ours, a friend in <laughs> a loose definition, that he was a man and, and he took care of the house and he wanted to talk to Don. He called about three or four times. Every time I told Don to call him back and every time Don said he would. As it turned out, a couple of years later, I realized that that phone call had been about our life, his life, Don's life insurance policy. And um, he never called Bryce back, and he never paid it. No life insurance. <laughs> no mortgage insurance ever because of his illness. So that's why the life insurance was important. It just went downhill from there, and I still was trying to figure this out. Now, a lot of you will say, well, what is wrong with her? And, you know, I would ask myself that same question. Um, but when, you're, when you've had someone who is has provided and taken care of you in a certain way and you ask, I expected an honest answer, which I didn't get. And I believe that my husband just got in way over his head in taxes. We didn't have many other bills. We had our house and then this tax issue. And then he got sick and it was just so overwhelming to him. He didn't know how to handle it and he was embarrassed to ask for help and I go back to this for so many years, energy goes where the mind flows. So my husband kept focusing on all the things we didn't have, even though he was making $150,000 a year. And it didn't work out very well. As a result, I told you what I know, and I'll tell you what happened based on that. He died. I had no life insurance. I had no mortgage insurance. We were living in a rental anyway. I was left with a $450 truck by this time. And I, live on, I lived on so, our social securities for a couple of years. I worked full-time in retail, which was you know minimum wage, just to get insurance for myself and my son and, and have some money. Well, it all came to a crashing bing-bang uh, August 13th of whatever seven years ago is. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I was penniless. I couldn't even stay in the house that I, I was renting uh, because they cut our social security. I moved in with my brother. 
because I was invited and they had plenty of room. That turned out to be a disaster. And, and I won't tell you why, but I did sleep with a baseball bat by the side of my bed for most of the time I was there. And basically I lived in a, a probably a 10 by 11 bedroom with a queen size bed, a dresser and a table. So, I mean, I went in and out of the house and I had friends and, and uh, drove this pickup, which I finally sold. And I found then just by happenstance, a really small annuity that, that, that Don had started. I, I had, the question I always had was, I always signed a paper for $2,500 every year to add to an IRA, you know, for 20 years. Where is that IRA? Why don't, you know, well, they took it because we filed jointly, which I did know, anything that was in any bank account when, when the tax man came it, um, he, they took us. Mm. So it was an interesting ride. And I, I will just say, I was really angry for a long time. But what I had learned in social work was that anger is always the outward expression of inner feelings. I am tired. You were late for dinner. You missed paying the phone bill. I'm angry because I'm distressed. I'm disappointed, I'm hurt, I'm tired, I'm afraid. And I will tell you, I was scared to death. I was terrified. I had never been so uninformed and so disappointed and had totally lost lack of trust in anything. I had trusted this man that I loved and I know that he loved me. There was, that, that wasn't the issue. It's just that he didn't know when he, he came from not much money. And when he got a lot of money, all he could think about was, I came from no money. And so this is why I call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that's the most important thing I can share with people. The money comes and the money goes. And I'm, I'm, I live on social security and I'm building a new business. Uh, it took me three years to come out of a coma of just overstressed, angry, disappointed, I broke relationships with friends that we had had forever, you know, because I couldn't do what they were doing. You know, I just, I couldn't go on a cruise with them. And that had been my dream. My real dream had been to go at 65 back to graduate school and get my PhD. But I couldn't even do that because that was money flowing out. And what I needed was money coming in. I lived really meagerly for three years in a condo. I moved, I picked up everything and moved to St. George. I just couldn't stay where I was. I always wanted to move from Portland. I am a sunshine girl. Uh, and so I came here with, um, uh, this is the uh, you can bounce back segment because I just finally, I knew I was not going to get well there. It is possible to come back from utter financial devastation but it takes two things, courage. And I, the best revenge is living well. <laughs> there you go. That's well, the story. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy one. I wanted to ask you, uh, whatever happened to all the rentals? He sold them off uh, when, he, when we needed money and they did pay for several, not three of our children went to college. The boys chose to do other things and they, as it turns out they didn't need college they're only they own companies and 
they're financially really well set. Uh, But he did sell those as we needed the money. That last 10 years, we were in the bigger house. I looked on Zillow. You know, sometimes you just have to be mean to yourself because things are going good. And I about eight years after we sold that house, I looked on Zillow just to see if anything was like it in that neighborhood. And it had just sold for $1.3 million. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. You know, you know yeah. the thing about it is, and I think it's you're, you're a testament to some of, some of the women from your generation, is you let the man do everything and you're just totally out in the cold as far as knowing what's going on. And, and then it comes back you to bite you. You don't feel like that in the moment, though. That's no. the hard part. Right. I'm taking care of the kids. I, I know the dental appointments, all those those little details. He's making the money, and it never occurred to me he wasn't managing it well because there was all these things, the investments in these houses right. and that sort of thing, which, hello. He had it I'm set up. Than I think. He had it set up well, but it wasn't managed well, and then, and then this, the whole thing cookie crumbled all the way down. But I think that's just a good lesson for people listening. If you're in a situation where you really are in the dark around the finances, it's something that you really need to take hold of and at least know. And we talk about that in the course, um, got it together, emergency info file, which is um, going to be actually released very soon. If not, when this is already, um, when this when this episode gets released, it may very well already be released. But uh, the whole idea is if you were to get sick, you were to pass away or you were to get an accident today, what would somebody need to know to be able to handle the bills, to be able to settle the estate if it was a, if he had passed and um, to not have to spend the next you know three to five years searching for things and being stressed out and doing court dates and all of that comes and then the family infighting as well. So um, I thank you for telling your story. I know it could have been a little painful for you, but you know, that's really where you came from. That's what made you who you are today. And so maybe you wouldn't have changed a thing, but I don't, you know, you don't have that opportunity. So we can just say that, but that's really, you know, it seems like you were a very strong, educated woman anyway. Um, and this just sort what? of, <laughs> it, it, thank God, because if that would have happened to somebody less educated or, you know, unable to really hadn't worked like you had different times you had worked and you said you were in real estate and you had done some things. Think about those women that or I think about those women that are just homemakers and taking care of the kids and don't really have a sellable um, skill or nowadays you have to have a degree pretty much. And so it makes it very, very difficult. And, and for you um, you're very strong. So I'm glad it didn't affect your health like it could have for a lot of people, I, I know personal stories where some things happen and then the health of that yeah. surviving spouse um, deteriorates for the, sp- the stress that is left behind and the mourning process and losing this loved one and then the barrage of financial stress, you know, on but its One own. thing about it, when you don't have any money, you don't have very many people bugging you. <laughs> I mean, you know, there were not not everybody knew, but enough people knew that this was well. They had to know if they didn't know before he died. They had to know when I couldn't stay in the rental and I was living with my brother. I mean, that was, yeah. I, you know, I was humiliated. I really because I my one son said to me, "How did you not know this, mom?" And I'm like, 
I guess I was busy raising you and running around in the car and getting people to baseball games. And until it, here's the hard part, until it crashed, until that moment, I had no reason to believe it was going to crash. I had trusted him and, and everything had gone fine from all of my exposure. And my background was husbands take care of their families. And I think, I know he wanted to, I, on the one hand, but he could not overcome this. Once he made money, then something happened. He had to buy a bigger something or another something, and that put stress then on that financial thing. So when he said, we're going to have to sell the house, you need to get a job, he had cried wolf so many times. I'm like, are you kidding me? Or, you know, what, what happened? And he was never able to fully own the responsibility for that and us work together. And it was, it was really hard on the marriage. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope I'm that really this... good at counseling people on transitioning, you know, because mm -hmm. I'll, I'll send them to you to get their finances out. But if there are people think, I, if, especially women, you know, if there are people who think I, I can't do this, I will tell you, writing your story will help. I can help you with that. And, and I just am so thrilled to have this relationship with you. Um, as I, I know younger people or, you know, people even my age, we're living longer. I, I, somebody said the other day, ask a question on Facebook. So when do you decide that you're old? And I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's been a journey. And you know, I was always a I Am Woman Hear Me Roar fan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. Well, we, we're going to wrap it up. And again, thank you so much for telling your story. And I'm, and I'm really hoping that some, some people take this to heart. And if you are one of those women, or even a man too, because um, that happens as much these days, where the woman is handling all the affairs, and then the man is totally helpless if she happens to um, get ill or pass away. So it's just important that when you have a household and there's more than one person that you both have a clue of what's going on and an essay in what's happening. And um, just if you have to get professional help to get that conversation going, then I would really encourage it because the, um, the alternative is having one, unfortunately, if it's the one that knows everything and they, they are no longer here to help, it's just this really bad trip that you end up on. So Yes. Um, you know, I knew all my life that I was a survivor. My mother died way younger than she should have and way younger than I should have been. And so it's that mindset. If it happens, it just it just happens. And you're, you either learn something or you figure out how to do it differently. Yeah. So it, it doesn't need to be life ending, although I, I will say there were days I thought maybe just maybe my, my life is over. Mm -hmm. but, uh, well, if you don't have money, if you don't have money, you sure think about it all the time, right? It's like money's the tool that drives, that drives everything. Otherwise that's the thing that you have to concentrate on in order to eat and have shelter and things. So those I, basic needs matter. Basic needs. Yeah. 
So thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. I really appreciate it. Again, it's um well, one of those if things. it helps even one person, I'm grateful. And you know what? If anybody contacts you, I'll talk to anyone. I'll, I'll <laughs> I don't know that I can cheer you up, but I can tell you that there's life beyond financial disaster. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll end it there. And um, thank everybody for listening today. And I hope you got something out of this. We um, we like to tell you, you know, these are we can learn from other people's situations, so you don't have to repeat them. And so hopefully there's something here that you can take and and make your your legacy a stress-free one for those that you leave behind. Check out the website, www.gotittogethernow.com and and check out what we're doing because I think it's really more of of a movement to get people to realize that there is an end. Uh, the end could come quickly, the end could come very slowly, but um, we just don't know when that's going to be. So if you can get all of your paperwork and everything in order ahead of time, when you're not under the pressure of a diagnosis or of a of a, an accident, you know, at that point, it's really not the time to get started because I'm telling you, having had an illness myself, you just don't feel like doing anything at that point because you feel so horrible and trying to get better. So um, I'm going to leave it off with that. This is uh, signing off Stacy Golden Listnock, your financial advocate, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Legacy Therapy Podcast. If we hit it out of the park today and you learned at least one new thing to take action on in your own quest to planning the best legacy possible, then be sure to tell your friends, subscribe, and rate and review wherever you get your podcast. The show notes will provide the sites and information that were discussed today. You can get more great tips, resources, and inspiration by visiting our website, LegacyTherapyPodcast.com.